Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In this week's programme, Richie McCaw embarks on his return to rugby after six months off. Tom Abercrombie embarks on what he's hoping will be the start of an NBA career. And can 10,000 hours of dedicated training get you to the top of a sport? We hear from someone who's giving it a go. And one of New Zealand's best ever softballers, Mark Sorensen, takes over the Black Sox. The All Blacks captain Richie McCaw is set to return to the Crusaders for the playoff phase of the Super Rugby season. McCaw has taken time off from the game since last year's European tour and is looking to return to rugby through his Christchurch club side. He's been back training for six weeks, doing four run sessions and four gym workouts a week, but is now keen to get back on the field. He spoke to Belinda McCammon about his pending return. First week or so was a bit tough, um, so I've been sort of, this is my sixth week back into it, so uh, starting to get, get on top of things, but um, I didn't completely do nothing uh, while I was away, so I kept things ticking over a wee bit, but um, I've, I've really enjoyed actually uh, knowing I've got a bit of time to uh, get myself ready to play and uh, you know, doing a fair bit of a uh, few, few miles and stuff, but uh, it's been good. How important was that break to you? I mean, mentally more than, than anything else really, I mean, for people that don't live in Christchurch, you obviously have a very high profile, it's very hard to go out. Uh, how good was it to get away and just be where the, somewhere you're not known? Yeah, that, that, I think that was the biggest positive I, I had out of it, was just to, uh, you know, first of all, not have a schedule to follow and, you know, being able to, well, not have your, your next 12 months planned out, you know, where you're going to be every weekend, that was quite nice to, uh, to have that a bit different and, and obviously sneak under the radar and, you know, just, yeah, uh, that, that was what I found really refreshing. And, you know, when you come back to um, Christchurch, I've been back now for, you know, a couple of months, uh, you realise that we're pretty lucky where we live with, uh, you know, people who are pretty good, you know, but uh, when it starts getting on top of you, you think it's there all the time, but, uh, you know, a place like Christchurch, people uh, let you get on with things pretty good, so uh, we're pretty lucky. Can you just talk a little bit about the training schedule that you're on at the moment? You're obviously not going from from zero, as you said, to, to full on. Um, are you working with the Crusaders uh, team? How is it working? Uh, at the moment, no, I'm just doing, uh, under the, the All Black trainers, uh, got a program for me, so we're doing, you know, four running sessions a week and four gym sessions and around about and uh, a bit of cross training so you know not about two sessions a day so um, you know it's uh, just keeping me on top of things. And you didn't feel in any way last Saturday watching the team run out that oh gosh I wish I could be there? Oh no I did feel that don't worry about that um, but you know I'd be worried if I didn't to be honest um, but I guess I prepared myself you know for a while to uh, that I wasn't going to be playing these tests um, but you know when the boys were lined up for the anthem and uh, you know the first whistle went I sort of it did feel a little bit funny, but as I say, it's probably a good thing. Christchurch has only got one all-black test this year. Um, added on to that, it's your hometown. What's it going to be like watching the test this Saturday? Well, hopefully it's not as cold as it was last year where the frost was on the ground, but um, can't control that. Uh, oh, it'll be, will be a wee bit different, but I'm looking forward to, to watching. Like I, 
you know, put aside the you know the wish you out there. I thought last week was a good start, and uh, you know, I just want to see the boys do better. But um, oh, it'd be good for. I hear it's uh, pretty much a sellout. So uh, yeah, I, I think it's it'd be good for good to get along and watch. What do you think that the crowd's going to do with uh, Sam Kane coming running out with your jersey on? Oh, hopefully they support him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, he, um, oh, he had a good start last week, so, um, yeah, no, I think, I think uh, when anyone's in black, yeah, support whoever's doing that, so that's good. I mean, speaking of um, this test and what the All Blacks need to do, the, the French are going to come out very hard, aren't they? And the All Blacks will really need to lift their game for this test. Oh, I think they will. They've got a couple of extra players that have been brought back in, and there's no doubt that they'll, um, they'll, they'll be better for having that game last week but you know so are we so we've got to back ourselves um, that, that will be better and, but you know we saw it last year and they played three tests in a row uh, things can change pretty quick if you just don't quite get things right so um, you know if ever there was a lesson taken out of the three test series we had against Ireland last year is that you know you've got to be on the job uh, all the time and um, I think the guys realise that and, and that like just talking to a couple of them they we were 100% happy with uh, with last week. It wasn't through lack of trying, it was just you know a few combinations, but I'm sure they would have worked on that. And when can we expect to see you back on the field? When's the club rugby uh, game that you'll be? Probably probably in about uh, mid-July, so that's the plan. Um, so three or four weeks I'll uh, probably have a run for club rugby, so um, yeah, I'm not sure what date that is or what day exactly, but I've got a bit more training to do yet, just to make sure I'm right. And who's that in decision with? Who, who makes that decision? Is that the uh, all-black management team? Is it... Simply club rugby level, or the the guys that um, that are setting up the training, like the All Black fitness trainer, we put a plan together to when I'm probably going to be playing, um, and then you know, sort of my decision in conjunction with the Crusaders and the All Black coaches. You know, it's, at the end of the day, um, it's about what's going to be best, you know, best way. And I think club rugby is probably the best way to start. But uh, you know, I'll be probably uh, turn up to a bit of training with the Crusaders to get a bit of a feel with the ball and stuff. You get all that, that stuff, so that hopefully won't be too far away. Are you itching to get back on the field? Yep, starting to. I'm starting to get sick of uh, panning the rows, to be honest. So uh, playing turns out to be the easy part. That's All Blacks captain Richie McCaw talking to Belinda McCammon. The Breakers star Tom Abercrombie's the latest New Zealand basketballer attempting to fulfil his dream of playing in the NBA. Abercrombie left for the United States this week to trial for the San Antonio Spurs, the Houston Rockets and the Milwaukee Bucks before a stint in the NBA's Summer League in Las Vegas. The 26-year-old Abercrombie joins the NBA draft-bound Stephen Adams as another New Zealander looking to make it in the world's most lucrative basketball league. Abercrombie, though, is realistic about his chances but says it's an exciting chance to test his skills. Unbelievable opportunity. Um... No, it was pretty, uh, pretty cool time to go over there and um, work out for multiple teams and um, just just put my face out there and, and see how I stack up against all these guys. It's um, it's a yeah a very special opportunity and hopefully I can make the most of it. You obviously had that disappointment last season when you couldn't go uh, because of injury. Um, did you think at that time that you you may not get another chance or were you always? Oh, yeah, I was confident that I'd be able to um, get another opportunity to do it. Um, it was very disappointing at the time, but um, you have to back yourself to get back there. And you know, Last year would have been a great uh, chance to go over there, but um, you know, these things happen in sport, and I think I'm in a pretty good place now uh, mentally to go over there and give it my best shot. And I'm very confident, and I think I'm um, you know, at the age now where it's... Uh, I'm the right maturity, I guess, to go over there and, and go into it with a very open mind. 
And what in your game do you think um, gives you the ability that you could uh, be of use to, a, to an NBA team? Well, I'm not going to go over there and be a, a superstar or anything like that. Um, so, you know, you've got to sell yourself as a, as a role player, I guess. And um, I think I can be a, a very good you know, lockdown perimeter defender who can knock down the open three wall and, and uh, surprise some people with my athleticism as well. So um, you know, hopefully those three things can impress some people. Obviously, Kirk Penny uh, tried this a few years ago. Have you had many conversations with him about sort of what to expect? I actually just bumped into him this morning. <laughs> so it was quite good having a little chat to him. And um, you know, he's, he's been through it before and been to some of those camps. And he said uh, it was pretty much what I expected. You know, they're all quite different. Um, some teams absolutely flog you to death and um, really test you, you know, mentally as well as physically. And other teams really just put you through skills-based stuff just to see how you, how you are with that. So um, they're all going to be a little bit different. Um, so that's why I'm just going to go in with an open mind and see what happens. And I guess a lot of it comes down to being in the right place at the right time and just luck uh, getting that opportunity. Yeah, definitely. And um, you know, people have said it before. It's it, all it takes is being in the right place at the right time someone likes your game uh, and that's all you need sometimes so um, we'll just have to wait and see what happens and hopefully there's someone out there that, that does really like me And how good has it been having um, the support of the club um, behind you the whole way? Yeah it's fantastic, um, you know, these guys are, have always supported me and, and everyone trying to achieve our dreams and um, you know, they've been very supportive of this, uh, this chance that I've got now and um, the coaches have been working me out um, really hard for this last month trying to get ready um, and I'm very appreciative of everything they've done to, to help me and support me on this journey. Of course uh, Cedric Jackson's over there at the moment, do you, do you might catch up with him at some stage or uh, cross paths? Yeah I'm sure we'll probably bump into each other in, in Vegas at the Summer League or something like that hopefully. Uh, I'm sure he'll be on, on some team, I'm not sure who he's playing for yet but um, yeah it'd be cool to bump into him. Have you, have you spoken to him uh, since since you uh, found out you would be going? No, I haven't. Um, I only found out I was going a week ago, so I haven't had a chance to talk to too many people yet. So, But I'll, um, I'll certainly reach out to him when I'm over there and um, see how he's going and see if he's got any advice for me. Whether or not uh, you're lucky enough to pick up a contract, how good do you think it's going to be just for your game in general, getting to go and uh, work with some of the best trainers in the best programme? Yeah, you know, he's, he said it right there, you know, irrelevant of what happens, this experience will be hugely beneficial to me and um, uh, just the experience getting to play against some of the best players in the world will be fantastic and you know, I hope I can bring back some of that experience here and, and share it with everyone and hopefully be a, bit, be a better player from the experience. And uh, you know, did having uh, Sean Marks at the Spurs, did that um, sort of help you uh, get a foot in the door there for a workout? I don't know, maybe there's a little Kiwi connection there which is quite good, um, so hopefully I'm bumping to Sean there, I've actually never met him before, so uh, it'll be cool to meet him and um, catch up with another Kiwi while I'm over there. Obviously New Zealand basketball's uh, been growing over the last few years, Do, does it feel like there's sort of more opportunities for New Zealanders to um, get in over there, especially with Stephen Adams and those sort of things happening now? Yeah, you know, I think um, you know, basketball in this country is just getting bigger and bigger and the, the next wave of talent coming through has um, got some real potential there and I think opportunities like this, which I'm getting, uh, are just going to become more and more for, for the younger players coming through. So um, you know, hopefully I can go and represent New Zealand well and, and set a good um, path or tone for, for the other guys who continue to do it after me. That's Breakers player Tom Abercrombie talking to Alex Coogan-Reeves. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson.
To master any skill, it takes 10,000 hours of dedicated practice. Well, that's the theory. It was made popular by author Malcolm Gladwell in his book Outliers. Just over two years ago, professional photographer Dan McLaughlin decided to put the theory to the test. He quit his job, deciding to spend the next six and a half years in full-time practice to play golf in the hope he'd become good enough to play on the PGA Tour. He'd never played 18 holes of golf before, and he's now halfway through his 10,000 hours, having clocked up 5,000 hours of practice, and he's down to a single-digit handicap. Jim Mora spoke to Dan McLaughlin on Afternoons about his quest. The desire to see what was humanly possible is what came first, and then the idea uh, to do it in golf came, and then finally uh, I ran across the 10,000-hour theory, and that that was kind of the... Uh, the vehicle to to push everything else along. Right, so it wasn't the 10,000 hours per se, it was the desire to achieve Excel, etc. Yeah, you know, I'd always been in just around people who type each other and say, you know, I'm a math person or I'm an athletic person or I'm an artistic person. And I, I just never agreed with that idea. So I wanted to do something to prove that you're not a type of person, you are kind of who you are and you are what you do. Okay. You'd never played golf, so why golf? Well, you know, uh, about three years ago or four years ago in 2009, I I visited uh, my brother in Omaha, Nebraska, middle of uh, America, and we went out and played nine holes of par three golf, and I shot about twice par, so pretty extremely awful. <laughs> uh, and we we were debating the idea of talent and hard work, and what would what would it take to get to the PGA Tour, and if anybody could do it. So some, you know, some dude who shot a 60 on a par 27, you know, th- nine hole course at 30 years old, could he make the PGA Tour? And after a lot of debate, I realized that the only way to actually know is to, to do it. So I just decided to drop everything and go for it 100%. You were quite sporty, though, Dan, I think, at school. You were quite good at some sports. Uh, no, I'd say I was, I was, I was decent at a couple things, but I, I hadn't actually played in any sports in about... 14 years before I started this. Okay, so you were rusty. And you also, <laughs> as I understand it, Dan, you also had a history of starting things and not finishing them, like most of us. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that, was, that was when I decided to do this. I looked back and I realized I had decided to do a few similar, not quite as crazy things in my life, but I've always gotten to basically the point where I saw that it was possible and then I lost interest. So with this... I, you know, I had a goal of the 10,000 hours, and that was what I was going to do. So there's no way you can drop off because you have to finish all 10,000 hours. And that was, that was one of the beauties of uh, testing that theory. I don't want to debate the theory with you because I, I think what you're doing is fascinating, and that's what I, I want to ask you about. But a lot of – Professor Erickson at Florida State University who came up with it has had a lot of detractors. I understand you got in touch with him and told him about what you intend. What did he say? Uh, you know, he he's a, a big supporter. I'm actually, I was just reading a um, a little write-up he did of some data that I sent him. He, we we work uh, a, a good bit together. I mean, we talk probably every couple weeks, and he he is encouraging uh, of me and and of what I'm doing. I mean, you know, anybody in the scientific field knows that 
a one an experiment in of one, so one person doing the experiment, it doesn't actually have that big of an impact on anything because there's so many different variables. But at the same time, you know, he's helping me, and I'm trying to help prove his theory and prove the 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 uh, all the research work that he's done over the years. Okay. Before I get to the extent of the proof, there must be sacrifice, Dan, involved financially, giving up photography. How do you support yourself playing golf full-time? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I I did fairly well when I was a commercial photographer. You know, I had uh, I did that for about five years and saved up money, and I'm basically just uh, slowly depleting myself in savings at this point. And, uh, you know, the goal is just to, to make it on tour and, uh, you know, think about all that financial stuff later on. Or, you know, if it runs out, then maybe I'll have to get a job picking balls on a, a driving range or something. I was reading that you live like a monk now, Dan. You've got two pairs of pants and you use your car for storage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, when you when you when you have to do what you have to do, you, you can find a way. So, you know, I, I have golf pants and non-golf pants, and <laughs> that's that's all I've really uh, found that you need in this world. Where do you begin training to be a PGA golfer when you've never played eighteen holes of golf? What did you decide to do first? Uh, so I decided to start at the hole. Um, I was literally the first day. I just putted from one foot away from the cup and after about two days of that I moved back to three feet and I slowly worked away so for the first five months I was only putting just from one foot three foot and then you know 10 feet 20 feet and then then after five months of that I got a pitching wedge and started chipping from the fringe and basically for the next 13 months I worked back further and further away from the hole until I actually made it to the tees and that, at that point, I, you know, I started hitting a driver and got a, a full bag and started playing actual rounds. Does it work to your advantage, Dan, that you've never learned how to play the wrong way? <laughs> I think one of the first things I did was learn how to swing the wrong way, and now I'm, okay. I'm changing that. <laughs> uh, you know, there's so many right and wrong ways that you, everybody, even you know, Tiger's changing his swing and Rory's changing his swing. Uh, I think that's part of being in golf is you're always uh, undoing something that you learn the wrong way. Tell us about interleaving. People are interested in your training routine, which incorporates something called interleaving. Can you explain that? Uh, the general idea of interleaving is that you vary your practice in order to stay engaged. For example, if you're trying to learn how to throw, uh, throw free throws in basketball, um, Instead of just throwing from the same line, from the free throw line, over and over and over, the research has found that if you vary your distance, you actually become a more proficient free throw shooter, even though you're not literally practicing from the free throw line. Uh, and the same goes in golf or, or pretty much anything you're trying to learn, and that the more varied you can make it, the more you can stay engaged and, and kind of stay on top of your brain and make sure that you're actually learning and you're not just getting falling into kind of uh, just repetition. Right, so it might, it's not just the 10,000 hours, it's how, it's how you spend them. Yeah, it's 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. Uh, a lot of people say that they've played 10,000 hours of golf and are still 20 handicapped. <laughs> uh, so the idea is actually practicing and being engaged and working on your weaknesses for 10,000 hours. That's that's kind of a, a misconception that a lot of people have. A lot of New Zealanders play golf, so using the interleaving theory, you just, what, mix up 
mix up the putts, drive off different lengths using different clubs. Is that the kind of idea? Yeah, that's the general idea. Uh, when I, you know, first started, I was it was all blocked practice because I was just putting. But now, you know, I might go and hit uh, a drive, and then actually, what, one way I'll do it is I'll actually pick uh, mentally pick a course that I'm about to play, and I'll hit every shot in my head as if I was playing that course. You know, first you hit a driver, then if you hit it straight down the middle, then you pick up a nine iron, and you're like, okay, I have 135 in, so you just hit a little nine. Then you go into the second hole, and, and if you try to, you know, hit your three wood, and you hook into the trees, and the next shot you have to practice is a knockdown five iron. And so you kind of stay engaged, and you vary it up. You never have the same shot uh, twice in a row, just just exactly the same as you would on an actual golf course. Dan, you are getting pretty good at golf. What's your handicap now? Uh, I think I'm off about 5.5. Wow, which is probably better than a whole lot of American golfers. In fact, it would be better than a huge percentage of them. Yeah, I think statistically being a 5.5 puts me in the top 8% of the 26 million U.S. golfers. Okay. how? What sort of percentile do you need to be in to go on the PGA Tour? You've got to get a lot better yet, I suppose. Yeah, you have to be in about the 0.0001%. Can, uh, so, okay. so I, I, you know, going. I never play golf, and I got in the first uh, four thousand hours. I got down to the top. Basically, it broke into the top ten percent. So then now, now it's the hard work, and now it's you know when you really have to make that push uh, to get from the top ten percent or top eight percent down to you know the point zero one percent. Do you get sick of playing golf? Uh, no, no, I can't. <laughs> I, I guess I have. Uh, enough of an obsessive personality where it's just kind of what I think about and what I want to do even when I'm, you know, quote-unquote taking a day off. With everybody, just something clicks. And and maybe that is what talent is. It's it's finding the thing that clicks and the thing that, that you can kind of live and breathe. Uh, but as soon as I stepped out there on a, you know, a rainy April morning where it's freezing cold and windy and, yeah, I had no clue what I was doing, it just... From that first minute, that first day, it just it, it everything made sense to me, and I, I felt like I, I could see clearer than I ever had before. So you've got how many hours to go? These these are the important questions now, Dan. How many hours to go, and do you think you can make the PGA Tour? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm, I have more confidence every day. You know, the more you work and the more you learn, the the easier and the more clear the path becomes. Uh, when I started, I had no clue what I needed to do, but now that I have about 5,800 hours remaining, I can see exactly where I need to be, and I don't see any reason why I can't make it there. Once you get to zero, you have a, another mountain to climb. You have to get to about a plus four to realistically compete. Um, you know, there's some logistic issues just because of how they're changing it and making you have to go through the web.com. Uh, before you go into the PGA, it's not Q school anymore. Uh, but whatever, whatever the road has to be, is the, is that, that's the path that I'm going to take, and you know, make it to the top. That's Dan McLaughlin talking to Jim Mora. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. One of New Zealand's greatest softballers is to take over as coach of the national men's side. Mark Sorensen's replacing the, his former teammate Eddie Colassi in the role. Colassi coached the Black Sox to the World Championship title on the North Shore earlier this year. 
Sorensen, who captained the Black Sox to three world titles, has previously coached the junior Black Sox. Barry Guy asked him just why he wanted this job. For me, uh, it really came about, um, I think it started at, at the World Champs in, in North Harbour in March, and watching the success and being there for the whole time and watching a lot of games and assessing things and just starting to challenge myself a little bit to see if um, if I was still in tune with um, the goings and happenings on the diamond uh, and the success of the, the team, uh, you know, sort of, and, and Eddie talking about uh, moving on and, you know, that it should be something that um, that I considered. Uh, and from there, you know, it sort of planted a seed and, and away it went and, and it basically grew from there. So got to the stage where, um, you know, I applied for the role about three weeks ago. Um, interviews were conducted and um, was appointed uh, or was notified late last week. Yes, that World Championships in uh, Albany seemed to be quite significant because it really got the public interest again because it seems that in recent years it just hadn't been there. Yeah, it's, it's hard for, for minority sports, I suppose, to make sure you, you get every opportunity you can. And unfortunately, uh, the side hasn't played in New Zealand that often over the last couple of years. It's more been uh, easier to get international competition overseas, so they've always been playing offshore. So in terms of reconnecting the public with with the sport and, and, and the Black Sox was um, was of huge significance. So the, the World Champs was, you know, and winning it was, was quite the catalyst for, for everybody going, ah, yeah, softball, that's right. Um, they win quite often, um, and didn't they do well? Uh, softball New Zealand... Uh, it appears like there's you know, money, there's been some cutbacks, but everything, as far as you can see, is in there in place for it to to win. Obviously, the men did it this year, and you know you can see a bright future. Oh, there's, there's always challenges with funding. Um, you know, for sport like ours, we're, we're always looking to uh, increase our pool of resources. So we've we've certainly got a, a great talent of uh, or a great pool of talent that's out there. You know, we're going to have uh, a number of existing uh, members, I think, go through to the next World Champs in two years. Uh, so the challenge for, for myself and, the, and a coaching staff management team that we're able to put together will be around how we structure that, how we motivate the players, how we lead them, and, and what type of campaign we put in place. You've obviously had great success as a player. You've had uh, some time with the junior Black Sox, you know, what do you give, perhaps, to this role, uh, or you know, what would you like to to see happen when you're in charge in the next couple of years? Uh, well, it's certainly strong leadership, you know, and, and that's what I would expect the guys can look to me for, you know, um, credibility, uh, having been there and, and and done that. But like anything, you've you've really got to earn your stripes. So it's going to be about earning the respect of the players and building up trust. Uh, and getting to a stage where, where, where they are playing for me. Uh, you know, hopefully by the time the 2015 World Champs comes around that you know that they're there in unison out there um, as one. Uh, and that's you know that's a challenge for any coach. Um, it, it doesn't. It's not rocket science, but um, it's fairly simplistic, but not easy to to put in place. Is it a good thing or a bad thing that you know uh, you've had the reputation as a as a player, transferring that into a, a coach? You know, have you sort of gone through a generation where people just don't look as look at you as, oh, well, he's a great player sort of thing? Yeah, I, you know, I think that you look across a number of sports and it's littered with um, 
with players and athletes and great athletes that uh, that haven't succeeded. But you know, probably don't have to look too far uh, at the moment. With you know, we've we've seen John Kewen have some success with the uh, the Blues and. I mean, Piero Cameron with his coaching with basketball are two that sort of sprang to mind. Um, I mean, Don Tricker, who coached us with uh, the Black Sox and, and, and recently Eddie Colassi. So there are a, n- a number that um, that you can look to that have had success being, um, you know, being world-class players in their own right in their day. Uh, and, and it's about, for me, is about assessing that, you know, what those strengths are and, and how um, I can transfer them into to the role of coaching with with the players and, and like anything it's it's about not complicating things and, and making sure there's not a lot of clutter there and making it easy for the athletes to go out and perform at their best. Is it all about the World Championships? I, I see that's more, it's every two years now. Yeah, yeah that's certainly what uh, what we're measured by and I'm currently standing in the, in the trophy room I suppose you'll call it at Softball New Zealand offices and it's, it's, quite, it's quite a small room but it's quite nice to uh, be surrounded by uh, you know, we've got six men's world titles, uh, a couple of juniors, uh, a women's trophy. They're all here. So it's quite a nice room to be in and to look back at the history um, that we've got. So, you know, if we can base uh, this campaign on the back of the history and success of the past, I, I think we'll go a long way. You mentioned earlier about uh, how there hasn't been a lot of action for the top sides uh, outside of world championships. You'd like to get that changed somehow, more more games for um, your side? Yeah, well, the action ha- hasn't been a lot of action domestically. Um, they certainly, you know, they've played across overseas uh, a number of times, and every year they've, they've played and competed. So there's been plenty of games. It's just would dearly love to get some uh, here at home. So, you know, the public that reconnected with the side earlier this year can continue to make that connection uh, moving forward and the opportunities that come with that in terms of... Um, TV exposure and hopefully commercial opportunities. What about a level down? Uh, representative or club competition, is that in a good state to feed through to the international? Um, we've, there's, certainly, uh, there's certainly a lot of talent coming through. Uh, there's, there's a lot of talent through the under-15, under-17, under-19 bracket, the, the last under-19 campaign. Whilst it wasn't a great success, they had some really good athletes there, so it's going to be about grabbing and nurturing all of that talent and and providing a pathway, uh, you know, developing the guys and and showing them where they can go and what they can do to, to achieve success and putting them into the system. So once we're able to do that uh, and work in tandem with uh, Thomas Markier, the head coach of the under-19s, and his assistant Jared Martin, I think you know we'll, we'll have a campaign that's based around uh, a performance culture, which will be critical for our sport moving forward that we have, um, you know, I guess everybody under the same umbrella. That's new Black Sox coach Mark Sorensen talking to Barry Guy. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember, if you wish to contact us, you can email us at sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Stephen Houston. Bye for now. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,